But may we turn to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 20. Verse 17, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge, and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Jerusalem. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and as he walked along with his disciples, he took them on the side a moment and said, we're going up to Jerusalem. They already knew that. They were aware of where they were going. But the important part of it was that he was going to be crucified and that on the third day he would rise again from the dead. And all of this was related to Jerusalem. And as I begin this exposition, I think that the first emphasis which should be brought before us is that our Christian faith is related to geographical identities here on the earth. We've emphasized repeatedly that the Christian faith is related to history. The Christian faith isn't some sort of a philosophical religion that has some ideas detached from history. In fact, it's impossible to have Christianity, anything that could be called Christianity, if you don't identify it with human history and with this one supreme event of all time the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Everything depends upon that event of human history. We don't have some sort of an idealistic ethical system that's been conjured up by the mystics and the thinkers of this earth. We have a message to proclaim wherein God entered the course of human history for the purpose of saving man from his sin making him a new creature in Christ, a new creation. And so we preach good news. We announce that we have great, marvelous events. Christ died. Christ rose again. And, oh, beloved, this is the gospel which has to be preached, and it has power, and we can't separate our Christianity from these events of history in time. But these events also took place. They took place here upon this earth. Our redemption isn't something that was worked out for us on Mars and then imported to us. Our redemption isn't something that worked out its way up here on the moon and then it was brought down here. 
Our redemption took place on this little earth where we live, are born, and die. And it was here on this little globe that Jesus was born. He came in the fullness of time. He was born of a virgin. His mother was named Mary. He grew up in this little land of Palestine. And from the place of his birth in Bethlehem to the place of his death there at Jerusalem, to the place of the departure which he made from the top of the Mount of Olives into the presence of the Father encompass a distance of not more than six or seven miles at the most. Six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and maybe it's a mile from Jerusalem up to the top of the Mount of Olives. I doubt that. But here is a little stretch of earth on this planet from Bethlehem to Jerusalem of about seven miles. And in the compass of these seven miles, all of these great events took place. His birth, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. And then, of course, you have the larger aspect of his ministry in Galilee and the Judean ministry of our Savior. But he didn't go outside of the confines of this little land which today Israel occupies. And it's the center of this little land, the city of Jerusalem, that we are dealing with tonight. And when I say you can't separate Christianity now from a place, you can't separate it from Jerusalem. You can't separate all that God is going to do for his people from Jerusalem. And consequently, when we read in Luke 21, 24, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. We have here an understanding that God has some other things ahead for Jerusalem than what we have known. Furthermore, that when Jerusalem ceases to be trodden down by the Gentiles, there will be a future for Israel in relationship to that city of Jerusalem. And the whole world has had its mind and its attention focused upon this little city of Jerusalem today because in the recent war the Israelis moved in and took possession of the entire city and tonight for the first time in 1,900 years the Jews have the political and civil control and administration of the city of Jerusalem. And all of this has just electrified the whole world and it's made those of us who believe the Bible is a divine and accurate revelation from our Father to begin to turn to it and to search it out and to believe that we are witnessing the days which are near at hand when great things are going to develop in relationship to the city of Jerusalem. There's no question what the end of it's going to be. The Bible tells us that. The end of this mighty city of Jerusalem will be at the completion of all God's purposes when we shall have a new Jerusalem, a holy city. And that, of course, will be the conclusion of the message as we unfold it for you tonight. But when did the city begin? And what do we have so far as the beginning of the city is concerned inside of the Holy Scriptures itself? 
I shall never forget the experience which was mine in 1950, when after the meeting of the ICC Congress in Geneva, the ICC chartered two airplanes, and these planes were filled, and we went to Jerusalem. My mother was with us on that trip. And we went about that city with our Bibles open, and Dr. Tom Lambie, our great missionary, was taking us to this spot and to that spot and to every spot. And that Bible which I marked up, I still cherish and still have, because we not only stood in his footsteps, but we stood at the top of the Mount of Olives. And we looked forward to that day when he would come back and his feet would stand again upon the Mount of Olives, which is on the east toward Jerusalem, as Zechariah said. But we went into the temple, the Mosque of Omar it is now, a Mohammedan temple. And the Mohammedans have moved in. And they have built now their most holy shrine on the very spot where the temple of Solomon was built and where Herod's temple was built. And as we went into that uh, temple, we went into the center and the guide was explaining and Dr. Lambie was telling us. And then they brought us here to this little formation, which is sort of a rock crust here. And then there's a hole that goes down through it. And they said, this is the place where the sacrifices were made. And here's where the blood rolled down through here. And then the guide turned and he said to us, this is the place where Abraham came to sacrifice Isaac. It's Mount Moriah. And near here someplace was a little ram caught in the bushes. And he was sacrificed here at this spot. Will you turn with me, please, to Genesis, the 22nd chapter of Genesis. And you have in this 22nd chapter the account of the offering of Isaac. And God commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac into the land of Moriah. And there he would make a burnt offering of him upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of, and it's Mount Moriah. Then we move on down and we get the whole story which is familiar to every one of us how just at the last moment as Abraham was lifting his arm up to sacrifice his own son God said lay not thine hand upon the lad neither do thou anything unto him for now I know that thou fearest God seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son from me and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering in the stead of his son. In the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireth, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And in the mount of the Lord, in there in Mount Riah, the first time I ever went to that city, the guide said, this is where it is to be seen. This is where it is to be seen. Now, of course, there is an earlier reference in the Bible, which is believed, of course, to mean Jerusalem. And if you will turn to Psalm 76, 
In Judah is God known, and his name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle, and his dwelling place in Zion. In Salem also is his tabernacle. And it is believed that what we call Jerusalem today was in the first instances called Salem. And who was the king of Salem? Melchizedek. Melchizedek. So in all possibility, in all probability, Melchizedek, to whom Abraham gave the tithes of all that he had, was the king of Jerusalem. And if you wish to take the passage in Hebrew 7, where Melchizedek is presented as a type of Christ, I take the view, and we have preached it from this pulpit, that Melchizedek was Christ himself. And if that is the case, then the very first reference that we have anywhere in the scripture to what could be called Jerusalem is the king of Salem, Melchizedek, who was Christ himself, and he started in Jerusalem, and before we get finished tonight, he will end in Jerusalem. Jerusalem also became the capital which David set up for his kingdom, for Judah. And will you turn, please, to Psalm number 122. It is an entire psalm devoted just to Jerusalem. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together, whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment and the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that's what they're praying for at the Wailing Wall tonight. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, thy God, I will seek thy good. Jerusalem. Now, beloved, when Israel sinned and turned against the God of Moses and turned aside to the idols that were built in the land, God raised up these prophets, and we had Jeremiah, and we had Isaiah, and all these various minor prophets who arose to warn Judah and to warn Israel that as the consequences of their sin, they would be taken away and their city would be destroyed. And if you'll turn to Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, this whole section through here, we have Jeremiah the prophet telling the children of Israel that their city of Jerusalem is going to be ravaged and destroyed. Verse 28, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city 
under the hand of the Chaldeans and under the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans that, that fight against this city shall come and set fire on this city and burn it with the houses upon whose roofs they have offered incense unto Baal and poured out drink offerings unto other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, saith the Lord. For this city hath been to me a provocation of mine anger and of my fury from the day that they built it, even until this day, that I should remove it from before my face. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and of the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, and their prophets, and the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they have turned unto me the back and not the face. Though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction, but they set their abominations in the house which I call, which is called by my name, to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley. And then we go on with all these descriptions as to what God says he's going to do to them. Will you turn now to Isaiah chapter 1? great prophecy of the book of Isaiah. How in the mercy of God does it begin? The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and what? Jerusalem. In the days of Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah. Isaiah, the great evangelical prophet that's filled with the evangel, made his prophecies primarily against Judah and against Jerusalem. Turn to chapter 2, please. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Turn over to chapter 3. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and Judah the stay and the staff and the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. In verse 8, for Jerusalem is ruined. Jerusalem is ruined. And here, beloved, you find just a little text. I've just touched on it because this theme runs not only through Isaiah and Jeremiah, you find it in Ezekiel and also in Hosea, you find it in these minor prophets in which God says to Israel, because of your apostasy, because of your sin, I'm going to destroy your city. I'm going to deal with the city of Jerusalem, and you will be carried off captain to Babylon, and you have the first great captivity under the Chaldeans and under Nebuchadnezzar when they came in and they carried off the children of Israel into their 70 years of Babylonian exile and captivity. God said, I will destroy your city. You know, I don't want to stop right here. And just make a little tangent, but I want to say to you people living in the United States of America, if God did this to his people, Israel, if God destroyed their cities because of their iniquity, that same righteous judge is in the heavens, and God's going to deal with America and with our cities, and we're going to fall under judgment, and you wait till the days that are ahead of us, judgment is going to fall. 
God punishes the iniquity of peoples and he does it by afflicting their cities and uh, taking them from their lands. He's done it down through the history of his dealing with nations. And he's done it here, of course, with Israel in relationship to Jerusalem. Now will you turn, please, to Daniel, the ninth chapter. And Daniel is in exile, of course. He's in Babylon. And in the ninth chapter of Daniel, Daniel offers this magnificent prayer and confession. And the great burden of his prayer is that God will give them back Jerusalem. That God will take them back to this great city of Jerusalem. And we begin reading there in the third verse, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confessions. Now verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as it is this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that are near. And then he continues with that great prayer into verse 12. And he hath confirmed his word which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil for under the whole heaven hath not been done, hath not been done as hath been done unto Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. And then we come down to verse 16. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city Jerusalem thy holy mountain, because of our sins and for our iniquity, the iniquities of our Father. Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. And then, beloved, when we come to this mighty revelation in the latter part of this ninth chapter, here it is, Jerusalem. He's praying for Jerusalem, and Daniel is praying that God will restore that city. You read the mighty prophecy of 70 weeks, and it begins there in the 24th chapter, and this is the one-time prophecy of the Old Testament that gave a cue and an indication to all faithful believers in Israel as to when the first coming would Christ would come. And it was because of the understanding of these scriptures that Anna and Simeon and John the Baptist and others were there preparing for the coming and Anna and Simeon were there in the temple looking, waiting for the consolation of Israel and they had that knowledge and they had that faith because they believed such prophecies as these as were found in the Old Testament. But notice this great prophecy of the 70 weeks. And from the going forth, of the commandment. That's verse 25. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seventy weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous time. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. 
And here are the 69 weeks, beloved, that have added up. Thank God you can calculate them, and I believe it. it is the one-time prophecy in the Scripture. But, beloved, it relates to Messiah being cut off. It relates to the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, giving them a specific date at which they can point and then calculate the time as it's represented there. And it was on this basis that the believers at the coming of Christ the first time were able to believe that he would arise when he did. Now there is no such time prophecy as to the second coming, beloved. No man knoweth the day nor the hour. We have no time prophecy. That whole thing is just here now waiting for us to be caught up. But after we are caught up and after we do leave as the bride and after we're carried into the presence, the 70th week of Daniel has yet to be fulfilled. And the 70th week of Daniel relates to this city of Jerusalem and the things that are going to take place in this awful period which the Bible calls the time of great tribulation which shall come upon the earth. Now, beloved, after we've seen this from Daniel, let us remember now that when we move into the New Testament and we come to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, at every Passover our Savior went into the city of Jerusalem. And we have here these mighty works which he wrought in that city. And we have the text which I took tonight from the 20th chapter of the gospel according to St. Matthew in which Jesus says we must needs go up to Jerusalem. And there the Son of Man shall be betrayed and he shall be betrayed into the hands of sinners and into the members of the Sanhedrin and into the chief priests and the Pharisees and they shall crucify him. And the third day he shall be raised again from the dead. And the great and mighty betrayal of the Son of God took place in Jerusalem. The trial of Jesus Christ by Herod and by Pontius Pilate took place in the city of Jerusalem. And it was through the streets of the city of Jerusalem that Jesus Christ carried his own cross. And just before, beloved, he carried his cross the week before, they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And you turn to that great passage in Zechariah 9, 9, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, thy daughter, O Jerusalem, riding upon an ass. And here was the triumphal entry of the king into the city of Jerusalem in the midst of the hosannas and the praises. And before the week was over, the same crowd was crying, crucify him, crucify him. Where did it take place? Jerusalem. No wonder it is a holy city. No wonder it is a city today that is at the heart of all the claims of these various religious groups, the Jews and the Arabs and the Protestants and the Christians. And all of them look to that great city and, beloved, it's in that city of Jerusalem that our Lord Jesus Christ called down the wrath of God upon the ecclesiastical leaders and said, How can ye escape the damnation of hell? And just before they crucified him, he cried out in that magnificent 23rd chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that stoneth the prophets. Oh, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered thee under my wings as a hen gathers her chickens, and ye would not. Behold, Jerusalem, your house is left unto you desolate. Oh, Jerusalem, it's in this 
place that the Son of the living God has been rejected. And it's in this city that the judgment of God and beloved in 70 A.D., the literal fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus, not one stone of this temple, this city of yours shall be ravaged, and ye shall be carried off among all nations. And in 70 A.D., Titus came in, and that mighty prediction that fell from the lips of Jesus Christ was literally accomplished. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, after 2,000 years, the times of the Gentiles are reaching their zenith and their close, and the fullness of the Gentiles is about to be completed. And as these days have reached us, Jerusalem tonight is in the hands of the Jews. They have it. Israel possesses it. And to think that we would be alive at a time in human events. And one of the things that impresses me about it all, that it all took place in about five or six days. I preached here on Sunday. On Monday, this thing started. I preached here on the next Sunday, and the Jews had it all. In less than seven days, between one Sunday when I stood here and the next Sunday I stood in this same pulpit, the whole picture of the world in the Middle East had been radically changed. Talk about speed. Talk about winning wars. Talk about overturning nations. Talk about victory. God gave to Israel one of the most stunning victories that anybody has witnessed. We've never witnessed anything like it before. They were able to move in and utterly destroy 400 airplanes on the ground. And if somebody would order that to be done in Washington, D.C., out in Vietnam, our war could have been over too probably a long time ago. But they did. And I read in yesterday's paper that this little one-eyed general who's supposed to have taken over three days before the war start and had all this tremendous morale that he inspired everybody with was quoted as saying, if the Russians started to fight us, we'd take them on too. My, the words and the statements of these people. It's not the size of the opposition they're concerned about. It's the righteousness of their own cause that they think about. And they were fighting for a city which they believed was rightfully theirs, the city of David, where David's throne was established. Jerusalem. Now let's turn... Oh, I think before I do that, I think I should say one other, one other thought. After Jesus Christ was raised from the dead... Where did he meet his disciples? In an upper room in Jerusalem. And after he ascended into heaven, and just as he went, where did he tell his disciples to go and tarry until the Holy Spirit would come upon them? It was in Jerusalem. And when we had this great commission to go and preach the gospel, where was it? Beginning at Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
think of all of these stupendous events of history associated with one city. Couldn't he have divided it up and given some of these honors to some other cities? Why should Jerusalem have all the glory? Why should Jerusalem be the one city of all the cities where all these stupendous events that relate to redemption, to a new creation, it is in Jerusalem. Now may we turn, please, to Zechariah, the 12th chapter. And we move into the, er, the other events. And I, of course, as uh, you can see in the brief compass of a little message like this, we can't begin to touch on all of these things. But we have now in the 9th and the 10th chapter, 9th chapter, of course, is, O daughter of Jerusalem, thy king cometh unto thee. In the twelfth chapter, the burden of the Lord for Israel. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. Verse 3, and in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. And that's exactly what she is tonight. A burdensome stone among the nations. They don't know what to do with her. They don't know how to handle her. She's defied the United Nations. She's going to hold on. The Jews are going to hold on to Jerusalem. And then if you'll turn in verse 8, In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then we move on over, of course, to the 14th chapter. Verse 2, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem. Verse 11, and men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more, there shall no more inter -destruct, utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And the climax of the battle of Armageddon, which we have already discussed, will take place when the Lord comes to Jerusalem, comes to the Mount of Olives. And here will be all this encompassed and besieged little company of Jews in Jerusalem with the nations gathered against. I shouldn't go into it, I can't, but during that tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the Jews. And in the midst of that tribulation period, he's going to break it. And all the nations are going to be against Israel and against Jerusalem. And in that moment of their last dire struggle, then the deliverer, as Romans says, shall appear, and he shall come out of Zion, and he shall deliver Israel, and they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. And, beloved, this one who was rejected at Jerusalem will be accepted at Jerusalem. This one who was tried and pronounced guilty at Jerusalem will be received with all the honors that can possibly be bestowed upon the king of all kings. It'll be in the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ will come. But oh, let's move on now to the Jerusalem of the millennium. The Jerusalem of the millennium. When the Son of God takes charge, he'll tie up the old beast and put him in a pit. He'll tie up the false prophet, the Antichrist, put him in a pit. He'll tie up the old dragon who is Satan and put him in a pit. And when these evil forces are effectively bound and their mischief is ended here upon this earth, 
Jesus Christ, who has all knowledge and all wisdom, will be able to sit upon the throne of David and he will rule from the city of Jerusalem. There is no doubt about it. The United Nations will no longer be in existence and there'll be no longer any United Nations in New York. The capital and the citadel will, of course, be in uh, Jerusalem. Now this millennial... Jerusalem is described for us in Isaiah, or it's all through the Old Testament, but I want you to notice this one in Zechariah, the latter part. Verse 16 of the last chapter, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of the tabernacles. And to keep the feast of the tabernacles. And it shall be that whosoever will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. Then we move on down. He's sitting in Jerusalem. We move on down. Verse 20. In that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judea shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Will you turn please now back over to the book of Isaiah. And in the second chapter of the book of Isaiah, I gave you the judgments of it. But in the second chapter, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and they shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountains of the Lord, to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And that will not take place by some sign on the door of the United Nations in New York, but it will take place when there's a governor in Jerusalem. And that one will be Jesus Christ, our beloved Savior, when he comes back. Now, beloved, may I stop here just a moment as we great, make this great sweep and think what it would be to have 1,000 years upon this earth without even the rumor of a war to have 1,000 years upon this earth with all evil forces restrained, to have 1,000 years upon this earth when the curse is lifted from off the ground. He who put it on the ground has the right to take it off the ground. And Jesus Christ will rule, and the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And when he seeks to make out of the whole earth a garden which will exceed the Garden of Eden. And instead of having our big bulldozers and our big atomic explosions to move this hill and to move this mountain, all the king will have to say is, remove that mountain and it'll go. All the king will have to do is to use the power of creation which is in his mouth 
to use the word of God which is here and he will give a reign of peace and righteousness here upon this earth for 1,000 years. Jesus Christ will rule this earth from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. Oh, but you say, Pastor, that couldn't be true. It's true. And furthermore, you and I are going to see it all. We're going to live with him. We're going to reign with him. And we'll occupy the heavens. And we'll come and go with our resurrected bodies. And we'll see a glory. We'll see a beauty. We'll see this earth of ours fulfill the fondest dreams that anybody ever had in their mind so far as the kings and the potentates of this old earth are concerned. Jesus Christ will reign from sea to sea from mountain to mountain and the glory of the Lord shall fill this earth and man's chief end will truly be realized for that end is to glorify God. That's the millennial kingdom and reign of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem. But oh, beloved, that's not all. That's not all. At the end of that millennial reign, the old devil's going to be let out of that pit for a few moments. And for a few hours, just to demonstrate that the most perfect kind of social system in order for mankind in which the king who has all righteousness and knowledge will set things in order, that is not what man must have. Beloved, we need more than a garden of peace. We need a redeemed heart. And men will live on this earth under this rule and still their hearts will be corrupt. Still there will be some who will not have belief. And when that old devil's let out of that pit, he will find refuge in the hearts and they'll try to organize their strength again against this great ruler. And then it is that we have the final great judgment, the resurrection of the ungodly, the wicked dead. They'll all come out with their bodies to be honor. And you'll have the utter condemnation. And at that moment, ladies and gentlemen, beloved, we'll have a complete renovation by fire of this earth as it is now known. And the heavens will be renovated and purified as the Lord says in his word. And in that great and mighty day when all that takes place, then that momentous and that magnificent descent will take place in which the holy city, the new Jerusalem, described in Revelation 21, will come down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and it'll be the city foursquare. On the east three gates, on the west three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates. In each gate is a pearl, and the streets of the city are of pure gold, and it hath twelve foundations. And here are the foundations. You have the apostles of the Lamb, you have the twelve tribes of Israel, and then you have the amethyst, and you have the ruby, and you have the color. All the colors of these stones are woven into that magnificent city as it comes down from God out of heaven. And somebody says, but pastor, do you believe that will be real? I believe it'll be just as real as the earth on which you're standing tonight. Do you mean to say you believe there'll be literally streets of gold? I don't think God will have any trouble finding gold to build his streets with. Furthermore, beloved, I just had the idea the other night when I was preaching on Cape May. What if we went out into the atmosphere? We're going out into these planets now and we're stretching out here about as far as man can go. Can't go very far because he doesn't live long enough to get very far. But beloved, when they get out there in the great expanse of this universe, multiplied millions and billions of stars, don't you think there might be two or three stars out there made out of pure gold? 
If somebody would discover a pure star made out of pure gold, we'd have a gold rush into the heavens. Just imagine something like that. Imagine. But this passage says that our God is going to deliver a holy city and there'll be nothing about it that in any way could defile. There'll be no temple there. There'll be no light there. The light of that temple will be the Lamb of God. And that makes Jerusalem, not Rome, the eternal city. Jerusalem, the golden, with milk and honey. Oh, beloved, our redemption is tied to history. Our redemption is tied to a cross. Our redemption is washed in blood. Our redemption is related to an open tomb. Our redemption has to do with Jerusalem, the city of our God and it will all be brought to pass. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh Lord our God we thank thee for this magnificent survey of all these things. Oh we see this Jerusalem how she rejected the Son of God and how the Jews have been scattered throughout the nations and now they've come back and now they're coming back from every section of the world. Oh, how we praise thee, O Lord, and how we thank thee for it. For Christ's sake, amen.